Back here on Darren, Donnick, and Chase on this Friday, ESPN 102.5 The Game. We're enjoying ourselves here at Lipscomb Academy. Uh, let's welcome in our next guest. Cheryl Crow has been nice. And, oh, wait a minute. That's right. Shot. I thought we were getting Cheryl. No? I thought you were going to say Wilson Pickett. Oh, man. Okay. Well, well, you know what? We'll take Trent Dilfer, the head coach, the head football coach. We thought we were getting Cheryl Crow. You'll take the D-list. <laughs> welcome to our facility. Thanks this is nice. Here. I wish it was warmer. We'd be out at the patio overlooking the stadium, but it is freezing out there. Well, it is. And things, in all seriousness, are a little different because the first conversation we had with you were after you, you're the first game, the big festivities, and it was a huge hit. And you certainly got our attention because I was unaware of everything you guys did around that first game. And, of course, Cheryl Crow and I guess her kids attend here. But it was a big event and obviously uh, a huge success. It has been a uh, great year for our community, um, I think for football in Nashville in general, um, our team, um, I couldn't be more pleased. Now, our record is only 5-4. and four. I'd love to be 9-0. and oh. I think every coach would say that. But uh, what we've seen happen around this community um, has been um, overwhelming. The support, the change in the boys, the, the uh, togetherness uh, through the concert series, having Cheryl and Ellie Ivory and the other great acts we've had uh, perform pregame. Um, and then kind of leading to that festive evening where the community comes together and then a football game breaks out. Uh, we've been successful at home. Uh, our crowds have been massive. Um, it's it's just really been exciting to to be a part of, and and uh, I'm I'm excited to keep it going. You know, we win tonight, hopefully, and and host a playoff game, and uh, just extend the season as long as we can. You were a successful player as we look at your Super Bowl ring. <laughs> uh, you played at the highest level. You ran quarterback camps. You've done media. You've you've done it all. But now you're on this side with a headset and now you're a head coach making decisions and you know quite honestly Trent we've said here a lot this season not that we want to but we're just doing our job in our opinion we've questioned a lot of decision making by Mike Vrabel he was a tremendous player he played at the highest level he won Super Bowls Mm -hmm. he's got rings but it's not easy right as you're as you're you know being a head coach it's different than a player's mentality or doing all this stuff what was the biggest adjustment for you what what how has this experience been for you well mike and i've actually talked about this the biggest adjustment is how much time you spend not doing football uh, how much time you spend doing ceo type responsibilities how much time you spend scheduling uh how many time how much time you spend managing um how much time you spend uh coaching coaches um mike and i both have a vast um, catalog of information that we we learned over our playing careers. Him coaching, uh, me doing TV, studying the game closely, running those quarterback camps, interacting with coaches from the high school, college, pro level over the last nine years, and and it's it's distilling all that in a practical way that can help you make a good decision in the moment. Um, I think that's been the most challenging thing is is you. You have all this understanding. You have all this knowledge. You maybe see the game a little different, maybe from a little, you know, treetops level sometimes. And then it's getting micro enough to make the decision at the right time that affects everybody the best way possible. Um, and we both make mistakes. His are a little more uh, traumatic because it's at the NFL level. But um, you you learn, you grow from it, and you continue to push forward and make better decisions as you move forward. I think you have to trust 
the process, and I know that's a cliche, but you really have to trust the process and, and what what processes you have in place to make sure that you stack good decision up on good decision on good decision on good decision so that when you do make a bad decision, it doesn't derail you. It just kind of gives you pause and then you move back and you start making good decisions over and over. You're, you're, you're in a constant learning mode about your people and what they best respond to. And it's not always what you respond best to. So um, I've had to learn that too. You know, I, I thought I gave my greatest rah-rah speech of all time a couple of weeks ago and, and we came out flat. <laughs> you know, so it's like, all right, well, either I'm not a very gifted speaker or that's not what they needed. Um, there's times you pat them on the back and that's not what they need. And you're like, mm, you know, I maybe should have had a harder edge there. There's time you have a hard edge and maybe they need a little more love. So anybody that thinks even Bill Belichick has it all figured out is crazy. I mean, I'm sure he's still, he's the greatest of all time. And I'm sure there's things he's learning every single day. So um, I, I think when you're looking at head coaches, I'll take myself out of this because I'm new to it, but with Mike especially, um, what's the big picture look like? You know, what? what's what's the bit? Don't get so caught up in a decision here or there that you want to get on your soapbox about. But has he stacked up a lot of good decisions um, that you can trust him moving forward? And my answer to that would be yes. I'm a big fan. I think that the Titans are on the right track. I think they're – I would actually argue they're overperforming their talent. I don't think they're an overly talented team. I think they're solid. I think they're very much like the Colts were where they built a strong foundation and now you're building upon that foundation uh, and there's a process to that. So um, I, I think it's a group that's only going to get better. I think they made a good move going to Tannehill and he's going to help them out um, through the rest of the season, but they do have to figure out the long-term solution at quarterback. Howard number three, Darren Donick and Chase here at Lipscomb Academy. Their fine head coach Trent Dilfer at the table with us in a little bit. You just made the list. Final hour, pick six tonight. They are hosting Battleground Academy, 7 o'clock kickoff, Lipscomb Academy and BGA. Willie, I'll turn things over to you because we've had some really good discussions with Trent, but uh, I guess we need to keep this moving. Your ratings soared that last 10 <laughs> minutes when I got cut off. <laughs> you know how many people turned off when I got on the radio? And they're like, okay, he shut up. Okay, I can turn it back, I can turn it back on. Well, Trent, I want to ask you, you we were just, while, while we were waiting there, you were talking about some of the issues of you know coaching high school kids as opposed to what it's like at, at the higher levels. But I'm sure you've had a lot of satisfaction just from the start of watching your guys improve, you know, whether it translates into, yep. you know, you're not 9-0, but I'm sure you can probably look at certain kids and say, man, that kid has come a long way. That's what, what coaching is all about to a degree, right? Oh, my gosh. It, I just got done before I started. I did a podcast with Ryan Rosillo, and he teed me up on that same thing. I said, I, I've literally teared up talking about this subject because I came out of retirement not to win a bunch of football games, put more pelts on the wall. I came out of retirement to parent boys because I feel like I got cheated of that when I lost my son when he was five, five and a half. I got back in, I got into coaching because I wanted to give back to the game like so much is given to me. So we say we're a human development program mass as a high school football program, as a high school football team. And and we care about the human development. Now, there's a physical part of that that translates to wins. We put 15 pounds on every player that, that's here. We have the best strength and conditioning program in the country with an NFL strength coach. We have the best weight room in the country. We have academic, uh, a full-time academic coach. We have a full-time nutritionist. I just hired a chef. So, like, yeah, we're doing all the stuff for the physical part, but 
the soulful part. I mean, these kids are becoming better young men. They're, um, they're learning how to deal with adversity. They're learning how to deal with conflict. They're learning how to deal with disappointment. They're learning how to conquer their fears. They're learning how to do stuff. We get really, really raw. Um, and every Sunday night we sit in this room for a half an hour and we talk about life and hard stuff about life. And, um, we confront stuff when it comes up during the week. And, and yeah, to answer your question, to see, Johnny White Sox. I won't use the name of our kid, but yeah. Johnny White Sox, who when I walked in was lifting with the PVC pipe and was getting a 2.3 and was having some social issues. Now is in the squat rack, getting after it, uh, is getting a 3.4 and is part of the tribe. It feels like he belongs. <laughs> that is the best thing ever. And when his parents pull you aside and start crying and saying, my kid is different. Like, I was worried about my son. And I was worried about what he was looking at on his phone. And I was worried about the conversations he was having. And now he sits at the dinner table and he looks us in the eyes and he talks to us about what's going on at school and what's going on in football. And he's not afraid of some conflict. He's not afraid of dealing with some stuff in life. He's taking it head on. I'm like, that's what that's what this job is about. I would love to be 9-0. Trust me. I, I sleep on that couch <laughs> in there, curled up in the fetal position after we lose. It still hurts. But when I when I can see it from up in the clouds and look down and be like, oh, my gosh, that kid's life is better because of what we've done here, uh, it makes it all good. You've uh, talked about, and we used to talk to you about those, uh, the quarterback camps you would run, yeah. develop, and you were working with some of the best high school quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, now that you're coaching at this level and you're seeing how the game is wired, you were just talking about how high school coaches are wired, how the mm -hmm. kids are wired, the dynamics within a game. Would that change how you would do – a camp like that now? <laughs> you know, I think there's a place for camping and there's yeah. a place for preparing for the season. And um, I think the, the camp, spring, the spring camp series, the summer camp series is very healthy for quarterbacks to get an idealistic look at what the position is, to learn new skill sets, to experiment with some things, to be around not just their teammates but other kids, uh, to learn how to compete, learn how not to be the dude all the time when you're maybe you're the – the seventh best guy instead of the best guy. Maybe you're the 37th best guy at a regional instead of the best guy in your district or whatever it is. I think all, there's a place for all that. And I, I don't have any regrets of how we've done Elite 11. It's very different when it's your quarterback. It's very mm -hmm. different when we're trying to just get him to read a coverage right or make a call right or deal with a leadership situation on the team or teach him how to prepare. or It's more micro um, we've really taken a slow development approach to our quarterbacks here at Lipscomb. We're, we're spoon feeding them information, letting them get, let them build a really strong foundation to we, and before we throw them out into the real world of quarterbacking. Um, but they'll go through the camp series too. Like we'll also throw them out there and ones that I'm not a part of and just say, Hey, go here it a different way. Go learn it a different way. Go open your brain up to new things. And, uh, I just think there's a place for all of it, I guess, is the easy answer. How do you feel? I'm sure there's a lot of the quarterbacks that you worked with who got to a place, and maybe they were behind somebody that was really good. But the, the whole transferring thing, there's a lot of quarterbacks that come in feeling like, hey, I'm, I'm good enough to play. A lot of them have proven that they were good enough because they go to the next place and they start doing well. But the, the transfer issue, especially a quarterback, has become such a, a huge topic of discussion. It's a huge It's happening in high school. So without using a name, we had an incredibly talented rising freshman on our campus for the summer. Um, as talented a young quarterback as you'll find in Tennessee and a great young man. 
and he got stuck at third of the depth chart because we're pretty good at quarterback here at Lipscomb. Um, and he transferred before the season started because he felt like his opportunity to play somewhere else was going to be better. And, and I supported that. And I called the coach to a rival team and said, you are getting a great player and a great young man. Uh, we just happen to have other really good ones here as well. Um, and I, and I kind of see both sides of it. Here, here's the best way I've been able to explain it. As long as you're forcing kids, now we're transitioning to college now, as long as you're forcing kids to commit when they are 16 years old and they don't know anything about anything, <laughs> or 17, when they still don't know anything about anything, and their parents who don't know anything about anything when it comes to recruiting, and you're forcing them to commit, then you have to have the transfer portal. You just have to have it because they're going to make a bad decision and they're going to get persuaded and they're going to get recruited really well. And I've seen it happen to two of my daughters. I have three Division One daughters as, as athlete, Division One athlete daughters. And you go through the recruiting process and what they tell you and what you see, and this is with a dad that does know what he's talking about and was on the trips and still got tricked. <laughs> that, oh, you're into the holistic development. Oh, yeah, you do this. You care about their academics. You care about... And then they get on campus and they're a piece of meat. They're like, I'm glad there's the transfer portal because kids get families get tricked and they make bad decisions on where they go and they need the opportunity to be able to go somewhere else. Now, sometimes it's just entitlement. Sometimes it's, you know what? I've always been the dude. If I'm not going to be the dude, then I'm going somewhere I can be the dude. That happens. Um, but a lot of times it's, wow, I just got in a situation that is not what I thought I was getting into. I'm sure glad there's a way I can get out of it. Of course, the coaches don't ever bring up those no, scenarios. Exactly. <laughs> they always bring up the entitlement no scenario. Doubt. It's all, yeah. And that, that's it's one of the issues I have with college football right now is why isn't the media talking about, you know, when we talk about the transfer portal, why aren't we talk, we're interviewing families? Why haven't we done these, you know, 30 for 30s or these, whatever the ESPN's new deal is where you go and interview the families about transfer. Why are we always right. talking to the coach or the AD or the other media member who really doesn't right. know what he's talking about? Like, let's go talk to these families that were told one thing, and this is this is what our we thought our student-athlete was going to this. And when we got there, this is what it was. Like, let's hear those stories because, you know, my daughters have lived it. Their friends have lived it. I've seen it with Elite 11 quarterbacks. I'm sure I'll see with my players here as they're recruited because we're going to have a lot of highly recruited players. Um, I've told my parents here, like, I will go on those trips with our kids. <laughs> like, I will go and talk to Ryan Day or whoever in the SEC. I, mean, I know these people. I've known them forever. And if you think they're, I'm going to be intimidated by them, then, you know, you got the wrong guy. I will sit there and ask them, okay, what exactly is Johnny White Sox going into? Oh, you're <laughs> telling them this. What does that look like? And, oh, you know what? Let me interview a parent that actually was told the same thing last year. Let me see if they are having that experience. You know, I, I think those are important things that parents need to understand in the recruiting process. You need to have an advocate that can ask the right questions so you know what your young person is going into. Trent Dilfer, head coach at Lipscomb Academy, here with us. So hearing you, you know, tell about this process and everything that you've gone through, is there, is there times where, you know, you're, you have a 16-year-old quarterback that you were saying, <laughs> And you spent so much time in the NFL, and you just, this is all natural to you that you have to take a step back and go, okay, he's not going to understand this yeah. like I do. Mm -hmm. And then you use that as teaching moments? Absolutely. And, and one of the philosophies we've taken here, right or wrong, is we've given them calculus. Like we weren't going to, we weren't going to 
come in here and dumb it down in such a way that maybe it would win us one more game this year or get us out of a sticky situation there. As a defensive staff, offensive staff, as me, the head coach, we said we are going to give them power five level exposure to systems, to teaching, to everything that we do. And uh, I've talked to my Power 5 coaching buddies. They've come in. They're like, uh, yeah, your play catalog's as big as ours. Like, you have as many calls as defense as we do. You're doing the exact same drills we're doing. And um, we want to give them calculus. Now, can they get an A on the test? No. And that's why we've lost four games. You know, we've had a lot of C-minuses on the test. (laughs) Um, A D a couple weeks ago. Um, But I'm, I'm betting on... You keep giving them the best information. You keep challenging them beyond stretching them in a way they've never been stretched. And then that B in an AP course actually counts as an A, right? Mm -hmm. And that B is going to beat most people. And then when we get them to A's and we start getting A's on those tests, we'll beat everybody. And when I say everybody, not just Tennessee, we'll go get on TV on Thursday night and play Valor or Hoover or Modern Day or Bosco or you name it. Um, and that's what we're betting on. We're betting on the come that if we keep teaching young people the best stuff over and over and over and expecting that, not just in football, but in life and in academics all the way around, that the net of that is going to be something that people haven't seen in the high school space in quite a, quite a while. I think that's very interesting because you see so many times, and I'll use the quarterback position of someone that had a, a simple offense in college, they get to the NFL, have no idea what they're doing, and the coach has to either, if, if it's a good coach, they'll adapt and yeah. they'll figure it out. But, you know, a lot of times those guys struggle. But with what you're saying and, you know, you make it complicated early on, then it helps that process. And really, if you want to simplify it from a, from a recruiting standpoint, what we're telling our, our kids and our families is that we don't want you just to go to college and play football. We want you to go and start as a freshman. We don't want you to just go and learn how to become a student athlete. We want you to go and thrive day one as a student athlete. We don't want you to just be able to go into college courses and figure it out. We want you to kick butt day one academically when you go to college. So we're trying to speed up the learning curve so they don't have to learn through their failures once they get to college that they can step in day one and thrive in a college environment. I want to ask you, we talked a little bit earlier about the Titans, but with Ryan Tannehill, and you were someone that you started in the league, you were a backup in the league, he, he, of course, was a starter until this year, becoming a backup. What's the biggest thing that you think he learned or that you learned going from you were the guy, you were the starter, and then you, you step back, and then you get back into the starting role? So you don't – same conversation I have with my boys here. You don't learn from losing. You don't learn from adversity. You only learn from those two if you handle both the right way. Same thing as becoming a backup. So you don't just become better when you go from a starter to a backup. You become better if you look yourself in the mirror and say, okay, here's why it didn't work. Here's the things I need to fix and go to work at them so the next time you get a chance, you are better than when you left. I think Ryan's done that. Um, I think Marcus will do that. And like, I'm actually a long-term buyer on Marcus because of what's happened right now. I would sell now, but I would buy the next place he goes. Hmm. Because I think Marcus is the right kind of kid. And I think he'll look at it from 30,000 feet, be introspective, talk to people that know what they're talking about. Say, okay, this is what got me in trouble over my careers. How, my career, how do I fix it? I think Ryan did the same thing. I know I did the same thing. Many don't. Many get bitter instead of better. Um, 
but Ryan's a guy that instead of whining and pouting and why, you know, I played pretty good in Miami. Why am I back up all of a sudden? Uh, he took the right approach to that transition in his career, and, and that's why you're seeing him play the game faster. Um, you're seeing him play it wiser. Um, I think he will take less risks with the ball. He will trust the process more as a quarterback. Um, and I, I think that's why he – I believe the Titans are a playoff team now with Tannehill, and I, I think that you're going to only see more of this unfold as the season goes on. Do you think with Marcus, his next step, it'll be all about the right coach, the right yes. fit for him? Yes. I think he needs to go somewhere. And I, it's too simple to say a West Coast situation, but – you know, somebody with West Coast highs that's very developmental base. That, uh, so your McVeigh's, your Shanahan's, your Reeds. I think Kansas City'd be a great spot for him, actually. Yeah. You know, what, what I saw what Andy did for Alex, cause, you know, I mentored Alex with the Niners, left, retired, went into TV. He goes to Kansas City. We were still communicating and, and it was just what him and Doug Peter, Doug Peterson would be another good one. You know, guys that truly understand quarterback development and can take you. Okay, Marcus, this from 1 to 10, you have 7.2 of the things that it takes. Right. Let me show you where this gap is, and let's go to work on those right now. And the next time you play, you're going to be an 8.8. I've made the joke of he should go to the Andy Reid quarterback rehabilitation program. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason for that. I mean, Frank Reich would be another yeah. one. Uh, look who he's done with Jacoby Brissett. I mean, there, there's Sean Payton would be a good one. There's 15... Now, there only used to be five or six. There's 15 good spots to go in the NFL if you're a quarterback that tell you what happens to Teddy Bridgewater yeah. in New Orleans. I, go, I mean, it's not a secret to us that know kind of the behind the scenes of the NFL. Like, you're dumb if you chase the money. You're smart yeah. if you go, if you chase the coach. Like, go chase the coach. It's what I did with Holmgren. I played the best football of my life by far when I left Baltimore Got rid of the disappointment of, okay, yeah, I won a Super Bowl, big deal, quit, quit whining. Go somewhere you can get better. I looked myself in the mirror and said, yeah, I won a Super Bowl. I'm not that good. Like, I'm not as good as I want to be. So I, it was between Martz and Holmgren. Either were good decisions, and I went with Holmgren. And that staff taught me more football in four years than I'd learned my entire career in the NFL. And wow. I got hurt. You know, my injuries derailed my time in Seattle. But if I go back and I just objectively watch the tape of 2001 in Seattle, 2002 in Seattle before I tore my Achilles, you know, I was playing pro bowl level football um, all the time is because my eyes got open to the way the game's supposed to be played. Can what's going on in Baltimore be sustained? Can Lamar Jackson, can that actually work long-term in the NFL? I think it can. I think you have to redefine what long is. I think he will get hurt. In order right. for it to work, you're also shortening his career. And yeah. you just have to, He has to make a decision, and they have to make a decision. Is that okay? Um, if the answer is yes, and... The assassin in me, if I was a coach, I would say, okay, we got five years to do this. And before his big contract comes up, we're probably done. So we got, you know, that's, that's how I would look at it. Just frankly, I, I'm an assassin that way. And I would, and I would not this way in high school. I'm saying in the <laughs> NFL, in the NFL, it would be okay. We're going to, we're all in. He has no choice. We're going to be a quarterback run driven team, shot team, like, Let's do this. Let's go all in and know that we better draft the next guy in three years because this has about a five- to seven-year window with his body type. Yeah. I'm curious to see how this is going to play out in, in Carolina this weekend because you've got a Kyle Allen, as you know, 
Trent, when there's no film, it's easy sometimes to burst the onto the scene. Written, yeah. Right, and then every game that you play, then they start studying you. They find your tendencies and your strengths and weaknesses. And so he has his first hiccup. So he goes four and zero, and then he goes to San Francisco, and they, you know, they get it handed to him. So now his here's his first game where he hasn't had to deal with adversity until now. And now I want to see how he responds against the Titans. See, so I'm super biased on this one. I'm just letting everybody know. Kyle's one of my favorite kids I've ever coached. Okay. Love him like a son. My daughter was just out there with him and his girlfriend in Carolina doing a NIGU activation with him. We text. We talk. Super biased on so Kyle. So you, you were not surprised by his success? I was not, I'm the one that called Norv Turner. I called Kyle Shanahan. I called Sean McVay. I called Sean Payton. I called every person I knew in the NFL about Kyle and said, this guy's an NFL quarterback. I didn't say starter. I didn't say like long-term. I just said he's an NFL quarterback. Uh, he has done a really nice job. Um, I would bet on Kyle Allen. Saying all that, I 100% agree with you that he has to take the next step as the book is written on him on – evolving his game um he started to write checks his brain started writing checks his body couldn't cash he's not an overly talented guy he's talented but he's not a guy that can play beyond the x's and o's he's got to play very system driven football um he's alex smith so he is alex smith and that's what i told norv and that's what i told everybody else alex can win a lot of games for you but he has to play the game very linearly I'm not going to say this wrong. So I'm going to try. Um, very um, textbook. They can't play beyond it. Um, and what happened against 49ers, they In other words, it. know your lane. Know your lane. Thank you. Um, they, he has to know his lane. If he knows his lane, he can play a long time. Hmm. Interesting. Alex Smith, though, was the number one pick overall. This is an undrafted kid, and you're comparing. That's, that's an interesting. That's, that's the NFL right now, man. Wow. I mean – Listen, Alex, I love him like a brother. He's one of my favorite people I've ever played with. He was not a first pick of the draft talent. No. I mean, not even, not even remotely close to it. Now, he's a great pro, and everything he's gotten, he's earned. But that's just how the draft gets messed up. Yeah. Uh, by the way, last thing as we wrap this up, I, I thought that was pretty powerful stuff. As a as a head coach of 8U baseball, travel yeah. baseball. <laughs> hey. But, but – you know, I'm like you. It's like this is our first season, and you know yep. we had close, close losses, and you know I, we we want to win them all. But to hear you talking about the development of a kid and how their life changes and being around that that to me, that really hit me because in just three months I saw kids from I remember them from the beginning to where we were at the end, just wrapping up our last tournament last weekend and see what in three months it looked like. It was so it kind of hit me what you said. Because those are kind of the talks I've had with parents. Like, just just think about big picture. Like, just let's go back to early August and what we just finished watching. Like, there was... You have to learn how to be part of something bigger than you. If there's any message I have for parents out there, and again, raised three daughters, lost a son. It doesn't have to be football. It does, But it, you have to find something where your kid learns that it's bigger than him that he's part of something bigger than him, that giving and pouring into something and sacrificing and pushing yourself beyond their, beyond your limits and buying into something, whether it's good for you right now or not, it's good for you long-term. People package that as, well, you got to play team sports. It's even bigger than that. It's community. It's, it's I'm here for you, not just for me. 
I'm here for us, not just for me. Our family and its issues are little issues relative to the bigger community. And let's, if we all have that frame of mind, then we're all better because of it. And a lot of stuff we turn on CNN or Fox News or whatever it is, aren't as big issues anymore if we get a generation that says, you know what, it's about all of us, not just about me. That's what football can do. That's the impact that football can have when led by the right people, not just the right person, by the way. I have an incredible team here, and it takes everybody. You do that enough, we replicate that enough around our country, and we will heal as a country. I think football is one of the ways that can happen. Ready? Break. I think that's, that's <laughs> a good ready. way. Yeah. To, that's Let's a good go. way to end. Let's go play. Coach. Let's do it. Hey, thanks for having us. Really uh, appreciate you uh, sitting down with us. I know it's a game day and uh, and talking with us. We really appreciate it. Fired up. Thanks, thanks for, for having us, here, guys. Trent Delford tonight. Lipscomb Academy will host BGA at seven o'clock. I hope a lot of you get out here and take in some good high school football. We will come back more of Darren, Donnie, and Chase on the other side. ESPN one hundred two five. The game.